0: How many know we're living in a dirty world? If you didn't know it, maybe this will convince you. This is from a publishing company who sent this to a person who sent a manuscript for a book to them. With reference to your manuscript, which we have returned, I am sending you the following letter outlining precisely our needs. Your manuscript was not even remotely geared to these needs. We need tough, strong, hard-hitting, sex-action-filled books geared to the demands of today's and tomorrow's market rather than to the standards of even a few months ago. And then this publishing company went on to tell what kind of things they were looking for, offbeat sex, with emphasis on deviations. Now hold your hat. Forgive me for even having to read this, but you've got to know what's out there if you don't already some possible themes to write would be footwear lined and rubber clothing ultra high heels whipping gagging female dominance gloves, sex rituals transvestia sadism masochism homosexuality interracial affairs boots and shoes lacing spanking tying girls fighting wet clothing mass wife swapping lesbianism Fetishes, group orgies, and it goes on. My title is How to Keep Clean in a Dirty World. I almost wanted to say in a filthy world. When you read something like that, you just feel filthy. And you feel the dripping of ugliness and hell coming out of it. It seems we're living in a day when a thing to be valuable and accepted has to be dirty. Now, this passage in Revelation 3 has tremendous significance because Sardis was the Paris or the Las Vegas of its day. uh, Sardis was an evil, wicked, filthy environment. If you remember that, when you read these few verses, you will understand it better. When you come down to verse 4, the Lord said you have a few names even in Sardis. See, it would be like even in Las Vegas or even in Paris, where you wouldn't expect it perhaps. Even there were a few who had not defiled their garments. In other words, they kept clean in a dirty world. My wife and I, as you know, were in Las Vegas a week ago this morning ministering at Rich Garrett's installation service. On Saturday night after the seven fourteen prayer meeting, that was a rather clever hour to have a prayer meeting that he instigated there, he took us down to the strip and we walked a ways through teeming thousands of people. I could not help but feel the depression of the whole thing. People who had not one thought of Sunday dawning in a short time and what Sunday really speaks about, not one thought of what their life was really amounting to, they really had one thing in mind that was pleasure, pleasure. Thousands of them moving everywhere. We are living in that kind of a society, filthiness, and I am afraid that that spirit invades the church of the living God. We need reminders such as Revelation 3, 1 through 6. I have told you before about how I like clean white sheets and white shirts. There's something about white that just feels good, and the lady comes down the aisle in white because it speaks of cleanliness and chastity, and we ought never to forget that. Friday is our changing of sheet day. I don't know what yours is, but Friday is ours, and I don't know how it ever came to be Friday. It just happens to be Friday. And after getting up at 5 o'clock on Friday mornings and coming to prayer meetings and then involving myself in a full day of ministry and often late evening events and going home late Friday after that long, long day, there is one highlight for me, white, clean sheets. Oh, man, your toes touch those sheets and then you're thighs and your torso and you get down in there and you pull that up right around your neck and the smell is marvelous and the feeling is glorious and you feel like you've gone to heaven, white, clean sheets, wonderful, well, there's something one step beyond And that's what the Spirit of God said to Sardis. You're going to walk with me in white if you stay clean in a dirty world. And I want to say to you, my friends, there's nothing I've ever seen that would compare with that. I don't want to miss that. All the videos, all the junk, all the crud that this world throws out in the name of pleasure and in the name of happiness and in the name of keeping up isn't worth the feeling of white that is going to be ours if we stay focused on Jesus, our righteousness. Now I want to give you three practical ways that this passage can be fulfilled in your own life. You know I like to be practical with you. So if you will make note of these, please. Number one, have the indwelling of God's Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 says, It is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In that upper room in Acts 2, Where those early believers were gathered, there came a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting, and they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We call it the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the people who were there said, are not all these which speak Galileans? In other words... Are not these our common and ordinary neighbors? How is it that they can do this? And how is it that they are so indwelt with God's Spirit? Are these not our common and ordinary neighbors? These are people we know, but they displayed extraordinary power, for they had been in that room waiting on God Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And I come to this pulpit today, friends, with a desire as this year winds down and a new year dawns upon us, that we be a Spirit-filled people, a Spirit-endued people. The kingdom of God is not in word. We don't just sit around talking about it. We must be filled with the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5 tells us. And it is an absolute, if we're going to keep clean, In a dirty world, you've got to be motivated from within by a source of cleanness, a source of righteousness, which can only come as you open your heart and your life to the Spirit of God. Stephen, after Pentecost, with power, spoke the message of God and faced death with great courage. In life and in death, he was powerful and dwelt with the Spirit of God. Nothing could move him from the place of commitment. Peter and John, as they confront the lame man in Acts 3, felt the power of God flowing in their life. And they reached out and pulled that man to his feet and said, "'Silver and gold.'" Have we none but such as we have? We give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And with power that man walked and ran and leaped, praising God, for these men were filled with God himself. There was, of course, all of those disciples who turned the world upside down, with the indwelling Spirit of God. Everywhere they went, the place was shaken. You say, well, that was back then. It can't happen today. We can't live that way today. I think the Holy Spirit would disagree with you. This book would disagree with you. The word that comes from the Lord is, overcome, overcome, overcome. How do you overcome You get filled with something other than yourself. You get filled with something other than flesh and lust and a desire for things that will pass with the using. You get filled with the Spirit of God and you're motivated then by a different source. Men have always said it couldn't be done in 1797 when the first cast iron plow was invented. Farmers rejected it on the grounds that cast iron would poison the land and stimulate the growth of weeds. Time has proven them terribly wrong. There were those who insisted that iron ships would not float, that iron would deflect the compass and they would damage more easily than wooden ships. Aren't you glad we've learned differently? In 1888, when Buffington took out patents for the steel frame skyscraper, the architectural news insisted such structures could not possibly be successful. Coming into town the other day with a friend, I said, boy, has this skyline changed since I came to town. Those structures of steel and glass that have arisen, aren't you glad we've discovered they're more substantial than what we knew before? They said it couldn't be done. It has been done. And the world says you can't live clean in a dirty world. You just got to go along with the crowd. And the bumper stickers say, do what feels good. I'm here to tell you that's not what the Holy Spirit says. He says, I want to dwell in you. I want to live in you. And you can be Christ-like in an unchrist like generation. That's the word of God for the church. It's how to keep clean in a dirty world. Secondly, I think it's time for us to make some right decisions. You know what my discovery is about keeping clean in a dirty world? You choose to keep clean. You make it a choice. You make a decision. You decide the commandments from God are right. You don't just wake up one morning and suddenly find yourself clean. It just doesn't work that way. Life is made up of decisions. Joshua stood before the people in Joshua 24, 15 and shouted, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a decision that you make. And there is a tremendous lack of decision-making in this society a decision that will affect our lives for holiness and right. That's why we have the brokenness. That's why we have all of the filth around us. We are making, perhaps, decisions that are based upon anything but the Word of God and that which lasts. You've got to make a decision to do it God's way. The other day I was reflecting back, and I have no idea how it came to my mind because I hadn't even thought about it, But my thoughts ran back to when I was a 16-year-old and a clerk in a grocery store part-time, going to school also. And it was like the Lord brought back to my attention a girl that used to come into that store all the time trying to contact me and would literally wait outside the store when the store was closed for me to leave the store. And I had forgotten about that through the years, It was like the Lord said to me just the other day, you made a decision way back there in your youth that has affected you to this day. And he showed me that girl after all of these years and that she had ulterior motives, that that girl was contacting me day after day, waiting for me after the store was closed with ulterior motives in mind. I wasn't aware of it, naive, whatever you want to say. I thank God for that, if that be the case. But he showed me that because of a decision I made, he had kept me. He had kept me clean when it would have been possible to be dirty. Because of a decision. Because of a choice. You choose to obey God, I owe. I chose to obey God years ago, and it has affected my life to this very moment. I chose to tithe to the Lord. I chose to give offerings to the Lord. I chose to read the Bible and to pray. I chose to try to lead others by my life. And those decisions have proven to be wise, profitable decisions. I was visiting with a pastor friend the other day, and he was telling about a man he saw sitting in another room of his church when there were activities going on in the building. And he said, well, hi, what are you doing here? How come you're not into the sanctuary? He said, well, I'm waiting for my son to get out of his meeting so I can take him home. And he said, you, you know, Pastor Cole, I just got angry inside because this man wasn't in church on Sunday morning and he hadn't been there Sunday night. And there on Wednesday night, he was sitting in another room waiting for his son and he's a member of this church and he isn't by his own life setting an example to his boy of what a Christian ought to be. He's making wrong choices. And it's so common today. And then he went on to tell me of a man that had been diagnosed with deadly cancer, and they had special prayer for him, and the Lord had wonderfully healed him. The doctor even said, it's a miracle. And he said, do you know now where he spends Sundays? Most every one of them, he's at a cabin up in the hills somewhere, and he rarely worships God publicly to give God thanks for the miracle he wrought in his life. I call those bad choices but they're all over today. People that should be sitting here with us right now. I mean, if the people who should be here were here, we wouldn't have room to hold them in this service. It has been estimated that perhaps as many as 20,000 people take advantage of this ministry at one time or another and would call this their church home. Could we ever get them here at one time? No way. Why? Because as many as come are running around making decisions to do other things that have nothing to do with God. And we wonder why the fallout, we wonder why all of the pain, we wonder why all of the difficulties that families and persons are experiencing around us. Friends, it comes back to decisions, decisions that frame our life, and decisions. That must be kept. That leads me to the third practical point. When you make a covenant with God, you'd better keep it. Samson had a covenant with God. And when he was true to that covenant, the Spirit of the Lord moved regularly upon him. As long as he kept that covenant, he kept clean and had spiritual power. When the covenant was broken, Samson was broken. And one of the saddest lines I've ever read in the Bible is this line, and he did not know that the Spirit had departed from him. The world had little by little, like the camel in the Arab story, had infiltrated his life until he didn't even know that the Spirit of God had left him. Today, thousands of so-called Christians are left powerless in this unclean world because of compromise and broken covenants. But thank God there's an altar yet where you can come and bow your knee and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to renew my vow. I want to make a commitment that will bring power into my life. I got a letter from a youth worker about a young girl who had accepted Christ under his ministry. He told her of a church that she could attend near where she lived. And one day, a girlfriend of this girl phoned my friend and said that this girl was in the hospital. He was told that she had been severely beaten and was in critical condition. She had a brain concussion, a broken arm, a broken jaw, lacerated eye, and various other injuries. The beating was inflicted by her boyfriend who was vehement against any religion and especially Christianity. When she came to in the hospital and her friend asked her what had happened and asked her if this beating had caused her faith to waver or caused her to turn away from God, her reply was an emphatic, No! She said that her acceptance of Christ was the greatest experience of her life, and nothing would change that. You see, that's a commitment that brings power. Even when you're beaten up, it's a commitment that brings power. We lack that today. But I thank God for one more opportunity to challenge you to that kind of commitment, to a covenant with God that will keep you clean in a dirty world. Many of you know the story of Hercules, the Greek hero who performed many feats of strength, but perhaps we have forgotten how Hercules died. It's a great example of what we need to learn in this service today. His wife gave him a shirt, which she had dipped in what she thought was a love potion, for she was afraid of losing his love. But it was a powerful poison that she had dipped that shirt in. The poison began to eat into his flesh with all his strength. Hercules could not tear that shirt away, and it killed him. So it is with the things that we let into our lives, little things, little habits, we say, oh, this won't hurt us. This won't bother but it's like that shirt dipped in poison. It eats away at us and eats away at us and eats away at us until we cannot pull it off. That's why God sends the preacher to the pulpit with a passage of Scripture like Revelation 3, 1 through 6 to say, if you will repent, if you will turn to God, you can walk with Him in white and be counted worthy. It's not the end of the story when you fail in the covenant with God. He's waiting. He's waiting to give you power and strength to overcome. The other night in a hotel, I was looking for the evening news when flipping the channels, not knowing where to look. I happened to see a clip of something I had recognized as the film, Chariots of Fire. Eric Lydell was chosen to run the 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. But when he discovered it was on a Sunday, he refused to run. Later, Eric decided to participate in the 400 meters, not his race, but it was on a different day and he could run. It was for Friday, July 11, 1924. He had to compete with two men who earlier in that very week had broken world records in the 400 meters, but he decided to run anyway. The band played, the Scotsman's heart was excited as he heard the music, and then as it ceased, somebody ran out onto the track and handed him a piece of paper, and as he looked at it, just before the gun sounded to begin that race, he read these words, them that honor me, I will honor 47.6 seconds later, Lydell had set a new world record for the 400 meters, just as if God honored Eric because Eric honored God. Friends, I can't tell you how powerful that story is from a biblical perspective. Them that honor God, I will honor. That's what this passage of scripture is saying in Revelation 3. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. I have not found your works perfect before God. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white. Every message to one of these churches in the book of Revelation chapters three or two and three are messages pertaining to circumstances that could prevail in any church at any time. And the circumstances of Sardis was a circumstance of living clean in a dirty world, in an environment that was against everything holy, against everything righteous, and against everything true. There were some who had a covenant with God, who had made a decision to be indwelt with the Spirit of the Lord, that they would someday walk with Him in white, And be counted worthy of the name Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you how badly our city needs people like that today. Will you be one of those persons? This morning, reading Proverbs chapter 2, since it's the second day of the month, I read again these words beginning at verse 13. From those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. You see, it's possible to leave the paths of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. Whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. The passage goes down to verse 20. So you may walk in the way of goodness. See, it's a choice. And keep to the paths of righteousness, for the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart again this morning with this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to walk in darkness, in perversity? in crooked, devious paths. In light of the last verse, the wicked will be cut off and the unfaithful will be uprooted from the earth. I say there is nothing around, nothing that's ever been invented that is worth taking us from a place of cleanness and wholeness and righteousness and with the prospect of walking with Jesus in white someday there's nothing worth pulling us away from the eternal perspective that is here in Revelation 3 1 through 6 and yet every effort the devil puts forth is to pull us a little bit further and further and further away What am I saying? I'm saying it's time to evaluate your life. I'm saying it's time to look at your lifestyle. I'm saying it's time to examine the videos you bring into your house, the magazines you allow yourself to read. I'm here to tell you it's time to evaluate where you walk and how you spend your money. There can be some in Sacramento who walk in white if We will pay attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in a dirty and in a perverse age. Now you can walk out of here and snub your nose at God and snub your nose at this passage of Scripture and say, I'm going to do as I please. That's your right. You can make that decision. But I plead with you in the name of the Lord to come into freedom, come into real victory, come into a real place of blessing in your life, a place you've always wanted. By being indwelt by the Spirit, by making decisions that are according to the Word of God, and to make a covenant with God that you're going to do it His way and not your way. And one of these days, when we stand before Him, there will not be a reminder of sin, there will not be a reminder of pollution. But He said, You're going to be put with a white robe. And I can only tell you how wonderful it feels to get wrapped up in white. It's not our righteousness, it's His. It's not our goodness, it's His. It's not any works that we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Today I appeal to you, from this word to Sardis, to make a choice. To say, even though it's dirty out there, and the cable televisions of this nation want me to plug in and let everything filthy and dirty come flooding into my living room, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do it his way. When the tempter comes, I'm going to say, Get behind me, devil. I'm going to serve God. When the allurement comes, you say, I can't do this because I want to one day walk in white with my Lord. And I've made a choice. I'm going to be clean in a dirty world. I want you to bow your heads with me all over the sanctuary. And I want us to remain steady together for these few moments as we ask the Holy Spirit to quicken to our hearts his word. Father, It must break your heart when you look down upon this planet that you created and pronounced good to see us messing up so, to see the perversion all around us, the books, the movies, the magazines, the television programs, the language, the filth. that belches out every day from this planet. But we come to church on this Sunday morning in the midst of this ugliness to ask you for a clean heart, to ask you for a clean mind, and to ask you that you'd give us power within to live righteously in an unrighteous generation move upon us from one side of this auditorium to the other. Young people, boys and girls, moms and dads, let us face reality today and admit that the things of this world have taken their toll on us and we need to come back to the cross and back to Jesus and let his blood flow over us in cleansing power and then to go to the upper room for that power that can keep us no matter what may come. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let us stand together. As Pastor Farron leads us. I'm going to ask that we come to the altar from all over this building. As the word of God has gone forth, I believe the Holy Spirit has been saying to numbers of people, you need to come and give it to Jesus, And I'm asking you not to leave now. We're not through yet. That we respect one another and hold steady until we've dismissed. If there's any movement, it's forward to the altar. Do not take this as a moment of levity or laxity. We need to zero in now like never before as we deal with those battles that go on in people's lives. There is something wonderful about moving to an altar and bowing your knee in the presence of God I don't need to sit down with you personally and say how is this how is this the Holy Spirit is doing that right now has been doing it throughout this service if you've never come to the altar before this is a wonderful day to come if you've been here 200 times and the Spirit of God says to you there's something in your life you need to deal with then come if you need to be clean come If you need to leave something at the altar and walk out of here a free person, then come. As we sing, I invite you from all over this place, come and kneel before God. We want to pray with you. And I believe you can go away a free person in Jesus' name.